the crucifixion of Jesus, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. That means that's the place where people were crucified in those days. They then offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So far, our reading this morning, we will also show back to a few uh, texts and verses in and according to the Gospel of Mark to understand the events that we've just read here. I want to focus this morning on the crucifixion and what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. Because in those times, it was the way that people dealt with criminals. The wrongdoer would be forced to carry the cross member that bar that comes across to the place where he would be crucified. There would be a pole waiting for him there, and the crossbar would be nailed against that pole. They would also be carrying a sign around their neck with what they have done wrong. And the reason for this is so that everybody could see and be discouraged not to do the same crime. These are people who were found guilty and charged with death by hanging on a cross. The second reason, and this is where it becomes interesting with Simon, the second reason is so that if he wears that cross and that crossbar people would be publicly shamed. So when Simon was asked, and this was not true of everybody that was crucified, this is where Jesus' crucifixion started to be different to other crucifixions. Simon was called and said, you have to carry this cross. You have to carry this piece of wood, this heavy piece of wood of shame. I have often wondered, what goes through the mind of a man, Simon, who's on the spot asked to carry that cross? 
You know, he was an immigrant. He immigrated from North Africa and now lived in Jerusalem. Can you think about his history, about the long road he walked to meet Jesus at this place called Golgotha? We read in the history of what really happened here. Jesus started to carry that crossbar, but he was so tired because of everything that physically happened to him, the floggings and the shaming that was brought over him. Emotionally, he was tired. Physically, he was tired. Spiritually, he was close to his Father in heaven. We read in detail in the Gospel according to Mark about Simon and his family. Just like we are here with our family, sitting here thinking and remembering what Jesus has done for us. It all plays out and they don't know what is going to happen next. They don't know. I think that when we reconstruct the story, it is a real life story of what really happened with Jesus Christ. And we see this man from North Africa and his two sons, they, they were made mention of, Alexander and Rufus. We also read in the book of Romans, and you can read it in the 13th verse, about a Christian man who lived in Rome by the name of Rufus. This is the son of Simon of Cyrene, who immigrated to Jerusalem. The details of the history just got to me again when I was preparing for this sermon. Because how can you dispute that this actually happened? From this perspective where Mark brings this to us, he brings it to us from the perspective of someone called Simon and how Jesus' cross and his death on that cross that he was forced to carry changed his lives and the lives of his family. The soldiers wanted to give Jesus wine mixed with myrrh. This is to sedate him, to help him to cope with the physical pain in those moments just before he died. But Jesus declined. He did not take that. This was how people used to do it. Jesus declined it and he faced this horrific death without even taking the wine mixed with the myrrh. And then we see what they do, as they always do. They cast lots. They come with an attitude of, what is in this for me? And they divided up his clothes, and then they nailed the written notice onto the cross so that everybody could see. And interesting, in the book of Mark, according to his gospel, Jesus is called a rebel. The two people who were convicted with him are also called rebels, people who rebel against the establishment. And then we see everybody in Jerusalem. We see the masses, the people coming into Jerusalem, 
and it was busy, more or less like what you see on the television when they show all of our highways when it's the long weekend for Easter weekend and everybody is on the roads. Everybody was there. Everybody wanted to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. That is why they came. But this year was different. This year, the man Jesus would be crucified, and everybody wanted to see what was going to happen. They wanted to see what was going to happen to him so that they can believe, because up until now, they didn't believe. They would not believe. So my question this morning is, are we still like those masses where we say, I need to see I need to turn up wherever there's something happening and there is a buzz so that I can see for myself whether I should believe or not. Amidst all of this, the chief priests and the teachers all mocked him. They said, he says he is the Messiah. He says he is the Son of God. Let us see if he can bring himself down from the cross. What was his teaching about that he will rebuild the temple in three days? That is impossible. What does all of this mean? What is the ministry of this man? What is it that he said that is so new and in some, in some cases so offending that people charged him by saying he is the king of the Jews sarcastically? Is he really the king? That was what everybody wanted to know. Ironically, we see that Jesus was crucified, buried, and he descended into hell, and that he did not save himself from the cross. It's not that he could not. It is because he chose not to. I want at this point to just read to you, if we, if we turn to Mark chapter 1, and we, and we read from verse 9 to 11, we will see where Jesus' ministry started. And according to Mark, we will, we will hear these words. Mark 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then this verse 11. This is long before the crucifixion that we read about in, in chapter 15. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. These are the words of God. You are my son, with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is who Jesus really is. And it's ironically that after he's crucified, buried, and descended into hell, the disciples already believed they didn't know what was coming next, but they believed in him in those moments when he passed away, in those moments when he died this horrific death. Three days later, he rose again. He rose again. The woman 
saw that the tomb was empty and they ran and they told the disciples just another part of history of what really happened. We see Jesus being announced as the Son of God. We see him as the Son of God hanging on that cross, dying for the sins of people. And we see God saying, With you, I am well pleased. Jesus brought a new ministry. They called him a rebel because he was dead against a religion that was dead. And he spoke out because he was the Son of God, he made clear what the will of God is to the world. And now I want to read from Mark chapter 2 to just take us a little bit further to, to emphasize and to understand why the teachers and the Pharisees were mocking him because they were coming from this establishment of what religion is on the one hand. And Jesus came and he did the right opposite. He challenged them. In Mark 2 verse 18, it's one of the most interesting verses in the book of Mark. So when we, when we turn to verse 18, we read the following. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So they come and they want to know. They want to know why they are not fasting. Why are they doing the opposite? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Jesus know that back in chapter 2. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So this brings us to us on Good Friday. What is the good message? What is the gospel that we can share with the world? It brings us to this point where Jesus' ministry points to something. He is pointing forward to the day when he will no longer be there and we will receive the Holy Spirit. So in Mark 2, verse 18, the question about joy, and I'm talking about real joy. I'm talking about a new way of living your daily life. We are confronted with, with that. We are confronted with the question, is it possible to keep a, a, a religion going? A religion with 101 rules that you have to stick to. Because you see, everybody was up against Jesus for openly not sticking to the religious laws. They were not fasting. No, they were mingling with ordinary people. They were out there with the good news, with presenting the will of God for people. They were living life to the full, his, his disciples. So the question for us is, do you and I as a Christian, do we understand this fullness of life that Jesus came to, to bring us? 
Have you ever experienced the joy and the love and the peace? The same joy, love, and peace, the same kind of joy that the disciples of Jesus had. And why did they have that? And why was it so different to the establishment and the church leaders of their time? Jesus had a very interesting answer. His ministry and his message is, it is not about religion. It is not about ticking the box. I was in church on Sunday. I ticked the box. I've done something good to my neighbor. I've ticked the box to try and keep all of the laws of everything good. It is not about religion. Jesus' whole ministry is about relationship. He came, he is the Messiah, he was the Messiah, he came to restore our relationship with our Father in heaven. So if people tell you in this time of Easter that you're a religious person and I'm not a religious person, that's actually unfair. Because we do not believe in a religion. We do not believe in everything that we for ourselves have dotted down as this is right and that is wrong. Now we believe in a restored relationship, a broken relationship, because we are sinners. We are people who have sinned against each other and against the world. And we need to bow down and ask for forgiveness. But Jesus Christ died on that cross so that our relationship with our Father in heaven would be restored. Outwardly, it looked like the Pharisees were in control. Outwardly, they had no joy, but they were walking around and pretending that they are keeping the laws. But they couldn't, because it's impossible for any person to keep any religious laws that they lay down for themselves. Jesus knew this, and he wanted to introduce a new life. He wanted to offer the love of God our Father, eternal love. He wanted, he wanted people to understand that this is a new ministry. It is not secondhand. It is not man-made. He came to renew our lives. And it is here where I just want to read a few more verses further on. In Jesus' answer on why they weren't fasting, because they had the bridegroom with them, because Jesus was with them, he tells these two parables, uh, saying the same thing. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth, and I'm on, in Mark 2 verse 21, I'm just continuing on from where we've read. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. He tells these two parables to help us understand where we sit around his table this morning where we celebrate what he has done. He did not come off that cross because he did not want to save himself. He came to save the world, and therefore he stayed on the cross and he died that death. 
It is new. In that day, everything became new. Three days later, he rose from death. And therefore, we go to church on Sundays and not on the Sabbath Saturday anymore. Because everything changed on the day when our Lord was resurrected. No longer dead. Jesus' ministry is about showing out the old and bringing in the new. It is not a second-hand message where we can come on Sundays, come to church and patch our lives, where we still want to live with sin and somehow manage to be in the world but not from the world, and then just patch up next Sunday so that we can be patched up for the rest of the week. Jesus is not talking about that. He is talking about renewing your life in a living relationship with the living God. Is that your faith? Is that my faith today? Or do we still first want to see before we believe? The good news, the gospel, is found in a living relationship with Jesus, and it works the other way around. Faith works by believing, and if you believe, you will see. And this is what's happened to the disciples. They believed in Jesus, and one by one, they, as his disciples, and everyone else that was mocking Jesus on that Sunday, and when we celebrate on Sunday, on the Resurrection Sunday, this Sunday we celebrate his victory over death. In those moments, that joy, that peace, and that loves become, love becomes our part. Because we start living lives with meaning. Where we sit down with ordinary people. Where in our daily lives, we share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that you believe and then you see. The disciples believed and they saw. You and I believe and we will sit down at the table and we will profess our faith in Jesus and we will see on the day of the second coming when he comes to collect his children that everything he said is true. We believe today and we will see on the day of the second coming. He will fulfill his ministry that he was called for by his father. My brother and sister, faith in Jesus Christ is what life is all about. If you have faith in Jesus, if he is your personal savior, if you believe that everything that he was mocked for is the truth, that he is the Son of God, that he died on that cross, that he, that he did not want to just save himself, but that he had a ministry where he, he came to die on that cross to save the world, even those who died next to him. If you believe in him, you are at the right place. We will sit at this table this morning having communion with him in understanding we are sinful people forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ so that our relationship with our Father in heaven 
can be restored and is restored. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.